something that stirred something to life in us. Uh, maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was a possibility. Maybe it was a hope. And we bought into it. I'm reminded of a, a friend that uh, I had many years ago uh, when we first moved our membership to uh, uh, Dalrock Baptist Church, which is in Olive Point. And she told me the story about her childhood growing up where her family, her mother and dad, fought all the time. And uh, she, um, they never went to church. And all, every Sunday morning they would be in a knockdown drag out fight because the dad was an alcoholic and he was drunk by, by morning and you know they would just be in this knockdown drag out fights. And so she would always go to her, uh, her bedroom and lay across the bed and just look out the window to try to avoid all the commotion. And um, she said, I remember every Sunday morning, this family, our next door neighbors, uh, were a Catholic family and they had nine kids. And every Sunday morning, faithfully, all of them, mother and dad and the kids, would all go to church. And she said, I remember laying across the bed looking out the window at them going to church, hearing my parents yell and scream and fight physically in the background. And she said, I remember saying to myself someday, I'm going to have a family like that and I'm going to take my kids to church. Um, she grew up and she started dating a young man who came from a sharecropper family in Louisiana. And his family was very physically abusive. They got beaten, and particularly he got beaten multiple times a week. And the only light that was in his life were the coaches. He was an athlete, and he uh, played football. And he had two coaches in the course of his high school career that took him under their wing that spoke into him a dream, spoke into him a possibility. And not only spoke it into him, but by their actions blessed him because they took it upon themselves to take him to different colleges and to, to present him and to advocate for him to the college coaches and to get him a scholarship because they had no money and to get him a full scholarship so he could go all four years at, at the college where he went uh, with all expenses paid. And so he became a coach. And somewhere in the college years, she and he met up and started dating and they married. Both of them uh, had become Christians. The, young man through the influence of his coaches. And um, they had three boys. And uh, they took those sons to church every Sunday. And um, one of those sons became a coach and the other two became ministers. There was blessing of action and blessing of words that both he and she received, and it changed the course of their lives.
by the witness of this family that will never know they changed the course of a young girl's life. Never know it. But by their actions and their faithfulness to what they knew, they created in her the blessing of vision. They cast a vision for what she could be, for getting out of where she was. And the coaches did the same thing for him. He calls us to be people of blessing. Um, blessers in uh, not only action word, but in being. And if you look at Matthew 5, over at the beginning of it, he begins, Christ does, his ministry by speaking of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he goes on down, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He starts out, this is the, the, the culmination of the idea of blessing in the Old Covenant. He is saying to all who would follow me, you are blessed. Not you will be blessed, you are blessed, if you understand these principles. This is blessing of being. As we follow Christ and move into humility, the humble heart is already blessed. The heart that knows its limitations and its weakness and its frailties and its failings and its shortcomings and mourns that is blessed. Those who have a meekness of behavior coming out of the humility of their heart are blessed. Those who have a hunger and a thirst after God himself are blessed. Now what does this word blessed mean here? It doesn't mean a speaking good and speaking well of someone. It's a different Greek word. Uh, makarios is the Greek word, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S. And it's been translated as happy. I don't particularly care for that translation <laughs> because it connotes something, it, it, it shrinks it down to a, a familiar word and a familiar common term. And the idea at the root of the word makarios is large. Like enlarged. We are enlarged when we hunger and thirst after righteousness. We are enlarged when our heart kneels in humility before God, recognizing what I am. We are enlarged 
we are blessed. Um, the idea of Makarios in uh, some classical uh, writings of uh, the Greek times and the Roman times, they use that word to describe the state of the Greek gods as altogether distinct from man. It was elevated above and beyond man, is the way the Greek classical writers referred to it, as a state of godship and not, uh, not humanity. Um, a blessedness that is altogether separate from our outward condition. It has nothing to do with what's going on in our life. And Christ took these terms and brought it down to you are walking, in a sense, supernaturally in a natural world if you follow me in humility and in meekness, if you let yourself become merciful through my mercy. What does that mean? You then not only are blessed, but you bless. If you are merciful, it's not just that you're receiving God's mercy, it's that you are dispensing mercy. If you are a peacemaker, you not only have received his peace, you give it out. You don't just keep peace. Keeping the peace is not necessarily a blessing. Making peace, peacemaking uh, is. So Christ is saying he's calling us to a state of being that by virtue of who and how we are, we are automatically blessers. We are automatically blessed. But not in a way having to do with our, our human earthly circumstances, our finances, our health, but having to do with the health of our own spirit. Uh, and our own attitude. Uh, so what we're seeing here is that you and I have been given great power. Uh, we have the capacity to enlarge people's lives by what we say and how we treat them. Or we have the capacity to sort of blight their lives as well because we all have those points in our own life where something in us got blighted by an attitude or a word or an action that someone took against us. And we also have these pockets in us that were blessed by someone and enlarged by someone. And we, 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 we received and stirred up a vision of what we could be of possibility in us by something that someone said to us, a teacher, a friend, a parent. Uh, you look over here in Matthew um, 21. Uh, it paints a picture here of this blessing and curse. Uh, 21 verses 17 through 20. Um, Jesus is in his last week before uh, Passover, and in uh, chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 17, he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. And in the morning, as he returned into the city, he was hungry. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, 
he came to it and found that there, was nothing, there were no figs on it, but leaves only. And he said to it, let no fruit grow on you from henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is this fig tree withered away? Now, when Christ spoke that, that was a curse to the, the tree, an actual curse. Um, but it pictures for us the power of our own words. If we have the power of both death and life in what we say, what he's saying to us is that um, we can say things or cop an attitude that will wither something special, precious in someone else. That will shrink them down to the size of our own lives and our own world. Or we can speak life into those people that are in our path and in our world and enlarge. We have the power to either wither the fruit of a person's life are to enlarge. Does anyone want to share about a time where someone spoke a blessing or in a sense a, a something that blighted you and, and maybe hobbled you and debilitated how you saw yourself for a long time? Anyone have a something that pops up in your mind? Yes. Okay. Okay. So that those words shriveled up something in you, didn't it? Shrunk it up, and it stayed with you. You've never forgotten those words. Okay. Okay. We usually can hear those words in our head, verbatim. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. So, okay, I thought you... <laughs> okay. And so what did that do for you? Okay. And it was probably really hard to rise above that. Okay. We are asked to be a people who see what other people don't see. And in that kind of seeing, we bless those whom we see those that we notice that other people don't notice, those that we hear and listen to that other people don't hear. We're blessing their lives and enlarging their lives. And we are asked uh, to look into a person, much as Christ did the rich young ruler in Mark 10, where he looked into the rich young ruler, he beheld him and loved him. That word behold means, is the Greek word emblepo, 
It's used only six times in the New Testament. Out of the hundreds of times the words uh, behold are used. This particular emblepo word is used only six times, and it means a gazing intently into the rich young ruler. Knowing that the rich young ruler lacked one thing, to sell his, uh, what he had and give it to the poor and come follow him, knowing that the rich young ruler lacked that and was going to turn away, he still looked deeply into the rich young ruler, into his eyes, and with a look, loved him. Emblepo. E-M-B-L-E-P-O. And we are asked to be those kinds of people, that kind of people who sees differently than what anyone else sees. He looked into Peter, into, into Simon, and gave him a new name, Petros, the rock. Before Peter ever was a rock, he called him what he would become. And So she looked in you and uh, into you and saw a great teacher. She saw what you could become, what you already were, that you may not have had the confidence in yourself to know. And it stayed with you through the hard times. Okay. She spoke life into you. She spoke a vision into you. She spoke a dream. And that was your first year of teaching. Wow. That's what we are to be. I think it is both, actually. I think there are times where he gives us a sense of who this person is. We see their heart, and we call it out. They may not see their heart yet. Most people don't see their true heart. It's so clouded by all the other blights and curse, curses that have kind of come to our soul. And so we need someone else to see what we cannot see. And, and so there are times where we see that. And it's, it's a discernment that God gives us. But there are other times where just words of affirmation speak life into to someone. So it's both. It's both, yes. They really do. 
whether it's a moment of divine inspiration or just a, an obedience of being life, life speakers and speaking affirmations into people's lives. So well said. <laughs> that is so good. Thank you, George. I love that. And that is so true. As we're more and more walking in the Spirit, we're even not even aware of, of the life and the blessing that may be spoken by our lives and our words. They come kind of second nature to us. I want to read to you from a book on the 70s that was one of those life-changing books for me called No Longer Strangers. And uh, Bruce Larson is the author, and he talks about um, our task as Christians is to live out a style of life that will allow people to discover their worth, their strengths, and their uniquenesses, and to communicate how much God intends to do with them and for them. And then he talks about the Man of La Mancha play that he saw. Um, the patrons, uh, he, he said, my patron saint has been Don Quixote ever since I saw that play. And um, he talks about uh, this, uh, the two main characters. Um, uh, uh, Don Quixote, and, um, who is um, uh, living in, the de uh, in Spain um, in the years after the death of chivalry. And he dons a rusty suit of armor, and he goes forth to right wrong. And so uh, he sees himself. Uh, he's a senile old man who sets off to do battle with evil in the world, and he sees himself as his knight, but he's wearing his rusty armor. And his companion is a fat, funny little fellow named Sancho. To Don Quixote, Sancho is the squire of a great knight. Knowing that he is only a humble servant on the old man's farm, Sancho nevertheless loves his master and enters into his fantasy. And so the two set off on their quest, Don Quixote on a, a broken down horse and Sancho on a mule. And um, he, said, he talks about them riding up to a broken down inn where the mule traders stop. And when Don Quixote meets the slovenly innkeeper of this very questionable establishment, which is no Howard Johnson's motor lodge, by the way, he says, he kneels down before him and he says something like, behold, you are the lord of this great manor. I ask you to knight me in the proper fashion. The innkeeper protests this obvious madness, but the dawn insists. At dinner with the mule traders, Don Quixote sees the poor misused kitchen wench who comes in to serve the meal, and in his eyes she is a pure and beautiful maiden named Dulcinea. And he asks her to give him a token of her purity that he may take it into battle as he fights the forces of evil. And she is you know, uh, insist that he, uh, something is wrong with him. <laughs> and, uh, but he refuses to uh, see the reality of the situation of either the slovenly innkeeper or of um, this barmaid. 
And uh, the story continues in this vein, contrasting Don Quixote's holy madness with the brutal facts of the real world. At the end, the old man is once again back in his bed at home, dying. Now he is in his right mind and no longer believes that he is a knight. And the most moving scene of the play is enacted when the people he has encountered come to his bedside and beg him not to change. For in a strange and miraculous way, each one has become a new person. The person whom Don Quixote saw in his pure and noble fantasy. This is the power that you and I have if we love in the way Jesus Christ has loved us. Our Lord calls us to a kind of La Mancha madness. He wants us to go into the world and call people forth, to call them by their true names, which may be deeply hidden. He calls us to affirm people. We are called to be a people of blessing, to see differently than the world sees, to see past the surface and into the heart and call something precious forth from there so that people will be changed by how we see them. When I um, was about 21, um, my husband had been in Vietnam. We had married, and then he went three weeks later to Vietnam. And uh, just before he came back from Vietnam, I had stayed with my parents for that year. And I was seized with the magnitude of the moment that my life was changing to a whole different venue. And I was looking at my mother and thinking of all the sacrifices that she had made, all the sacrifices my dad had made, uh, to give my brother and me what we needed. And uh, I was overwhelmed by what they had done. And I said, Mom, how can I ever thank you for what you and Dad have done, the sacrifices that you made for us? And she looked at me and she said, you don't. You don't thank me. You just pass it on. And in that moment, I thought, okay, if I can't thank them enough, I will pass it on. And that changed the course of my life. It changed how I saw myself that I needed to pass on the blessings that came my way, that had been given to me. The blessing of an amazing life of growing up in, in innocence and in joy. And to pass on a blessing that other people who may not have had that wonderful life as a child uh, could somehow be blessed by that. And, uh, you know, when I was... Um, in seventh grade, uh, on my birthday, um, my parents gave me uh, my first Bible. And uh, uh, it's still pretty much intact, except for the book of James, which is <laughs> torn out. Um, but they wrote in the cover of uh, the front part of that, uh, this Bible um, a blessing. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a blessing that changed my life. And um, I will read it to you because what we write and what we say 
comes out of who we are and what we see. And Christ has anointed you and me to be this unique people who bring what only we can bring to a cursed world. We only can bring blessing. And uh, I want to read it to you because it was one of those things that I didn't realize until a few years ago that it was one of those blessings from the parents to the child. Um, Brenda used the precepts of this book as the guidelines of your life. Do what you know within your heart is right. And the world of mankind, the children of God, will have been blessed by your having lived among them. Mom and Dad. I would ask that you all close your eyes for a moment. And I want to read this as my blessing to you. In Numbers, where uh, the Lord tells Moses to bless the children of Israel, he gives the blessing that we've heard so many times about, may the Lord's face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, give you rest. And it says there that the blessing is so that his name might be put upon his people. That's the purpose of a blessing, is that his name would be put upon you. And I want to read this blessing to you that my parents gave to me, because in this blessing, I think God puts his name upon you and calls you his own. <laughs> And I just want to read it again, but I want you to receive it as a blessing for you. Use the precepts of this Bible as the guidelines of your life. Do what you know within your heart is right. And the world of mankind, the children of God, will have been blessed. by your having lived among them. Father God, let this blessing seep down into the hearts of each person here. Let them have a vision that the world of mankind will be blessed because they have lived among them. Pray this in the name of your Son and of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. There's refreshments at the office up here. If you all want to take a few minutes break, and then we can come back and do.